Well, hello there. Welcome to Journey Through the Epistles with Daniel Babalola. I am Daniel Babalola and I'm inviting you on a journey as we study the epistles in the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I believe that a solid understanding of what is contained in the epistles would serve as a strong foundation for all our Christian expression. And not just that, that when we take the words of the apostles and properly understand them in their context as they meant it to be understood, our entire Christian experience stands the chance of being so much more flourishing. So join me on this journey. Let's go. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have access to your word. Thank you that by your spirit, we can understand, we can apply, and we can see your word transform our lives. I pray that even as we continue in this theme of Christian generosity, that you open our hearts to your word, teach us from your word, and Lord, help us to grow, to become more like you, even as we take your word to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Again, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're joining from. If you're listening to this at some other time, good day. <laughs> um, welcome to Journey Through Second Corinthians, I think part 20 um don't let that number scare you it just means we've been here for a while and it's been worth it it's been worth it um currently for the past two weeks now um we've started a teaching on christian generosity and if you haven't listened to the past two weeks i want to beg you to find time sometime next week at least before the next teaching to catch up on all we've discussed on christian generosity because a lot of times we come to let's say second corinthians 8 or we come to the idea of generosity and the first thing in our hearts are questions oh how much should i give uh what if i is should i give pre-tax or post-tax or stuff like that and it's 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 right away we're drilling down to the mechanics of giving but there's a lot more that the Bible has to say first about giving before we even start to talk about what true Christian generosity looks like. Because pretty much like every Christian virtue, right? If you pay attention to the teachings of Jesus, especially in Matthew, you would realize that everything God expects of humanity starts first in the heart, not in the action. And so the Pharisees will say, eh, if, if, I have money to have promised to church, but I'm also meant to give my mom. Which one should I give? And Jesus is like, you're missing the point. It starts with the heart, right? The same way um, fornication starts with the heart. The same way murder starts with the heart. It's the same way kindness starts with the heart. The same way generosity starts with the heart. It's not, you don't jump into Oh, I've not slept with anyone. Does that make me a fornicator? And Jesus says, have you looked at a person with lust? If that's true, then your heart, you need to check your heart. It's the same thing with generosity. Before we start to say, oh, how much should I give? Uh, should I give twice a week? Should, should I, 
what if I want to give to church, but then I also want to give to my friend? What should I do? No, no, no. Before we get into all of that, what does a heart of generosity look like? And that's part of what we've tried to cover in the first two weeks of this, uh, or two parts of this teaching on generosity. The first week, we talked a lot about the idea of agency, both in receiving and in giving. Um, and I don't mean monetary now, just how God works with agency. That you see a church in Jerusalem, they need food, they need resources, they need provision. And the way God answered that prayer was through the generosity of others. And I, I talked about partnering with God's agency and learning to receive from God's agency. And also it can go the other way. So learning to discern the agency of the devil as well. So you don't partner unknowingly with him or receive from his agency. So if you haven't listened to that, please find time to do so. Last week, we spent more time talking about um, the fact that true generosity can only stem from the Spirit of God. So we looked at the life of the early church in Acts, Acts 2 and Acts 4, and how generous they were. We looked at Deuteronomy, um, I believe, 15, uh, if I remember correctly. If I'm wrong, someone can correct me in the chat. Um, but we, we, we talked about what, yes, Deuteronomy 15 and God's ideal for generosity for Israel and how we can learn from God's ideals and apply it to our own lives today. I talked about how every society that has tried to actualize God's ideal, oh, God wants a world of generosity. Therefore, let me try and do it in my own flesh, has almost always resulted in inequality, death, and more scarcity. History has time and time again shown that that is the case. And so we talked about what it means to actually have a heart of generosity. Where does the spirit come in as far as being generous? What can we learn from the early church in Acts 2 and the early church in Acts 4? So we talked about all of that and we've already started to receive great questions. And I believe as we take yet another step further, things would only open up more in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, finally, after two weeks <laughs> and after over three hours of teaching, we are finally getting into 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Um, <laughs> and so if you haven't already, I think that's all for introduction and don't worry, just 10 minutes while going into the word. <laughs> if you haven't already, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Um, get writing materials if you need to do so. I'm reading from the New King James Version as usual. All right, are we ready? Let's dive into the word of God. So 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. I've given the context already uh, about what Paul is trying to do. The church in Jerusalem, there, there's a famine, um, there's no food, there's no money, there's pretty much nothing. And so they took it upon themselves, Paul and a couple other people, to go around the Gentile churches to gather money, gather resources, maybe clothes, maybe food. Pretty much a GoFundMe for the church in Jerusalem. And the point is to get all this money, all these resources and take it to Jerusalem. In that day, unfortunately, there was no zeal. 
no Venmo, no PayPal, no Cash App. They can't just wire it to your account. And so people needed to go to these churches one after the other, get all these donations and bring it back to Jerusalem. And so Paul being the foremost missionary to the Gentile church also prioritized that responsibility. And so this is a situation where Paul is going to come to Corinth in maybe a few weeks or a few months time, right? He's traveling across churches and he's re- as he visits them, ministers to them, he's also getting donations for Jerusalem. Second Corinthians 8 and 9 is Paul saying, I'm about to come to you guys. Please um, get your money ready. Don't let it be that when I come, you now say, oh my God, I would have in my pocket. Mm-mm. He says, I'm coming. Get your giving ready. And then he talks about how the giving is going to be managed, who's going to come collect it, um, accountability and all of that. So we're going to get into all of that in the next two chapters. But that's just a very short overview of what we're looking at today, just for the sake of those that haven't been here for the past two weeks. So now let's let's see what Paul has to say to the Corinthian church on the topic of generosity. In verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And you're like, okay, um, the grace of God. I've defined, at least given a workable definition for grace in this Bible study before. And what did I say grace was? Does anyone remember? I should just go ahead to say it. Let me actually, does anyone remember the definition I've given for grace? Um, especially in this context, in this class before. I think I used to do that more during the the enablement of God. Yes, but there was a specific phrasing. Even I can't really, but I remember a specific phrasing I've used before. Um, whenever we said grace and peace, and I said, okay, this is what grace means. Does anyone remember? <laughs> you can check your notes. You can check your notes. I'll give you just a few seconds and then I would, I would remind you of my definition the supernatural enablement of god the riches of god in the heart of a believer all valid definitions i remember saying that grace was the divine influence of god on the human heart the divine influence of god on the human heart i can expand on that as is that stirs him up to act in a manner consistent with jesus that's grace was it divine enablement? <laughs> okay. I will believe Buki because she's a better note taker than I am. So the divine enablement of God. Oh, oh no, you're saying it's divine. <laughs> well, Buki, what are you trying to say? That the note I did, the definition I gave you, said enablement must be the law. <laughs> the divine influence of the spirit of God on the human heart. And I'm adding to it that enables him or her to act or express um behaviors consistent with Christ. And so if you forgive, that's the grace of God. And in this case, if you are generous, and Paul calls it the grace of God, how? Because the Spirit of God has so worked in your heart to enable you. So Buki, are you happy? To enable you to do what would have been hard in the flesh. Does that make sense? Um, so Paul is saying, oh, this is the grace of God to the churches in Macedonia. And then what does he say that grace is? I say directly from my notes. I don't know which note that is. It says, um, 
that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. A lot of big words. If you read an easier translation, the NIV, it says, out of a severe trial, the overflowing joy and extreme poverty. I love that. Wealth up in rich generosity. The reason I love that is not because poverty is good. I love that because Paul is literally saying, this is a church that is in deep poverty. And they are giving to another church that is in deep poverty. So in Second Corinthians 8, we already have two churches that are struggling financially. Of course, due to no fault of theirs, right? It's not because they didn't apply kingdom principles. It's not because they were not hardworking. For many of these people, for some of them, the reason they are in that situation is because they chose Christ. And at that moment, their society rejects them. They are, let's say they lose their jobs, they lose their businesses. And you're like, you, you, you submit to Christ and not Caesar, be we're done with you. And so here we have a church, a church that Paul knows and loves. And what is their condition? They are experiencing a great trial of affliction and they are experiencing deep poverty. Now, where does the grace of God come in? The grace of God comes in when you see how they respond. Remember, I, I just said that it's a work of God's spirit in your heart that enables you to, to act or to behave the way Christ would. And so we see two aspects or two, two expressions of the grace of God. That number one, in the abundance of affliction or in, in the midst of suffering, they stay joyful. Not only that, since their joy is abundant. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm joyful. There's nothing to say, I am abundantly. It means that it's if you come around me, you will catch joy. I'm not just happy. I am overflowing with joy. That in the midst of the affliction, there is an abundance of joy. Not only that, in the midst of poverty, there is an abundance of generosity. And so what you can start to see is that sometimes the way the grace of God works in your heart is not necessarily in changing your circumstance. Not always. Many times he does. But not all, not all the time. At least not all the time in that moment. There's a need for patience. But what the grace of God looks like in the waiting stage is how you respond. How you respond. What the grace of God looks like is empowering you to respond in a way that people are surprised. They're like, ah, how can you be this joyful? Aren't you suffering? It's like, it's the grace of God. How can you be this hopeful? Can't you see how bad everything has gone? It's the grace of God. Or like Jesus, can't you see we are surrounded by winds and waves? How can you be sleeping at a time like this? Does anyone have that kind of friend? It doesn't matter what is going on. You guys are all just, you just find out they're falling asleep. Like, ah, how can you be sleeping <laughs> at a time like this? Guys, let's, let's read, let's read. Boom, that friend is asleep. Oh, let's go watch a movie. Let's go watch a movie. Boom, <laughs> the friend is asleep. And like, ah, you just, you can't, you don't joke up with your sleep. And that's how angry they were like, Jesus, the boat is turning. The winds are, the rain is pouring, the winds are blowing, and you are sleeping. It's funny that Jonah was also sleeping at a time like that. 
right? How can you? It's the grace of God. How can you be generous when you don't even have enough for yourself? It's the grace of God. How can you forgive someone that has hurt you so badly, betrayed you, lied to you, took advantage of you, abused you, and say, oh, I forgive them. How? The grace of God. Oh, my God. They are laying off. They are laying off. Huh? How are you so calm? It's the grace of God. Oh, I saw the way that person treated you. If it was me, eh, I would have... You would have seen my truth. I don't like people taking advantage of me. Mm. I, he can't just do that to me. I would have shown him a piece of my mind. We don't want to see a piece of your mind. So how come you were so calm? It was the grace of God. The grace of God. Meaning that there is such a way or a responsibility that believers have to receive the grace of God. To receive the grace of God. We can so grow that regardless of our external circumstances, by God's grace, we ride above it. By God's grace, we maintain our joy. We maintain our generosity. We maintain our peace. Oh, what is going to happen next year? What are you going to do? Oh, I know this, this. You're still looking for a job. Any progress on that? Oh my God, I don't understand how you are so peaceful. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And so, learn to partner more. To lean into the grace of God that is available to every believer. To allow them live as Christ would, even in the midst of negative circumstances. All right? So he says, this is the grace of God on this church. And it's beautiful because it's not even one person now. It's a community of believers. All 20 of us here, we can choose to have that same testimony. That, oh, the grace of God bestowed on those that came for JTT today. That even in the midst of affliction, their joy abounds. Even in the midst of what recession or inflation, they are not worried about their, their, their well-being. They just trust God. Oh, this, this, this church or this group of Christians, they're just so loving or they're just so peaceful or they're just so kind. It's the grace of God. And we're going to see as we read on that that grace should and can be taught, be stirred up can be worked on. All right? So it says, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. In deep poverty, the riches of their liberality. The riches of their liberality. It says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Now, one thing you would notice about Paul's instructions of giving, if you paid attention to 1 Corinthians, um, I believe chapter 16, and now is usually Paul would encourage in, in the subsequent verses, we'll get there, to give according to your ability, right? That's, that's like the bare minimum of Christian generosity. And 
like I said, I'm not necessarily, because it's more an exposition, I'm reading from the Bible. I might not necessarily be bringing out points as though if I was teaching on Christian generosity. So wherever I make a point on generosity, just take note of it, right? This is another thing to keep in mind. So the first one is that generosity is, is of the grace, is by the grace of God. Another thing here is typically generosity is according, at least biblical recommendation, is according to ability. That's the bare minimum. That's the whole idea of the tithe system. Like it's a percentage of what you have. Jesus looking at the woman that the widow's might, he says she gave more than them all. Why? Because she gave more than her ability. And so it's usually when God looks at a generous heart, it's based on ability. It's not based on amount. <laughs> right? And this is a church and we realize, of course, in a church, people are in different maturity levels. Some are still growing. Some are mad. Some have been walking with God for 20 years. But this is a church that went beyond the ability. Now, Paul would never say, oh, give even more than you are able to bear. But if you do so, it is, it, it, it is, what's the word? It's one thing for you to give when you have. It's another thing to give when you don't have solely out of love concern that don't worry, I can suffer a bit more just so that they don't have to suffer at all. And that's even more an expression of the grace of God because it's like they didn't just give according to what they had. They give even more. And I just want to make it clear that it wasn't coerced. So whenever you are stirred up or you feel like you should give even more than your, you say, my God, this is my saving. And we'll talk about more of that. The first question is, is it willing or is it coerced? Nowhere in the Bible are you coerced to give more than you have just for the sake of it. Usually it's according to ability. And so that's what makes it even more special that more than they more than they had, they were willing to give. And then he goes on in verse 4 that it says, they implored, not just they were willing to give more, but there was a sense of urgency or eagerness that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. We should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. So they begged Paul, literally, they're like, please, Paul, <laughs> We heard that our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are sorry, please. I know you think we're poor, but please let us give. And so genuine giving is commendable when marked with eagerness. It's not like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how will I give this now? And then you're struggling, you're struggling. If you do go ahead, it's good. You the Spirit of God, it's not everything. And I'll, I'll get to that. It's not everything in our devotional life that we find easy. Sometimes the Spirit of God has to drag us to pray. But if you responded, that's good, right? Jesus said it, that you are much better than the person that said, oh, I'll go ahead. He says, son, before I come back, sweep the house. Say, Daddy, anything for you. Anything for you. You gave birth to me. You have fed me this 20 years. I will sweep the house. <laughs> and then you go out, you sleep, you play games, you forget. And then you hear your dad's car or your mom's car. And you're, oh my God, oh my God, the house is still dirty. I'm... I speak from experience. <laughs> I 
My mom would say, "Why wash the dishes, do this, bring out the chicken so that I can start to defrost, clean, sweep the floor. And we're like, oh, okay, mommy doesn't come back until like 4 p.m. We have like an hour. Let's play until th- we have, th- this is just nine. We have till three. Let's play games. Let's do that. And then the next thing you hear mommy's car and then you know you are a dead man. <laughs> then we'll go into the bathroom we'll quickly, put water on her head just so that she has to without a bath. We'll quickly clean everything, clean everything. But she always catches us. Jesus said that. <laughs> As in you sweep under the chair, you quickly bring the chicken. There's nothing you can do. You maybe if you try to put it in the microwave, that's a bad idea. So you, you just know that today, mommy will flog me, and you receive your suffering with joy, just like the Macedonians. You are bound in joy as they flog you, <laughs> All right? Um, and Jesus says that that's one category of people, and then there's another one that can say says, oh, do this. Just say, I'm not going to do it. But then changes their mind and does it. He says, that person is better. At least you didn't just prove your love with words. You didn't just prove your love with words. How did I get there? I can't remember. But anyways, um, the Corinthian church, I'm sorry, the Macedonian church, they're like, let us, let us help. Let us help. They were eager. Okay, yes, that's how I got there. They were eager to do so. And yes, of course, there might be times the Lord has laid it in your heart to give something and you struggled. This is not to condemn you. The fact that you gave is a beautiful testimony of overcoming or yielding to the Spirit of God in itself. And that is the grace of God, okay? So don't say, ah, I've never been like the man. Every time I've given something that cost me, it pained me. God, why? You can get better. You can get better. You can get better. But they... they they literally were the ones urging, but Paul, how far? You said these people need help. What's going on? It was not the reverse. Unfortunately for the Corinthian church, it's the reverse. Paul is the one having to remind them. For the Macedonians, they were the ones on Paul's neck. When can we give? Send us the link. Let's give. Let's give. Let's give. And he says that for the urgency that we should receive, that Paul should receive the gift. And the fellowship of ministering to the saints. Now, this is this is a beautiful phrase of word, but it can be missed out on if you don't understand what fellowship means. It's the word like we know, koinonia, right? And it simply means mutual participation. When everyone in a certain group is sharing in something or is doing something, And so Paul calls it the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Why? Because this is something that all the other churches are doing. And so the the Macedonian church are saying, we want to be a part. How can can all the other churches be raising money? And we're here just just sending love and vibes. (laughs) We want to be a part. And that is one of the most beautiful experiences in in christianity that word fellowship that whenever you express your love for jesus you are not doing it in your own bubble you're doing it with others and so praying together is fellowship i'm sharing in the fellowship of prayer the privilege that I can be with people and we are all raising our voices to God. That's fellowship. 
learning about God together is fellowship. That my friends and I, we can go to hear the word of God taught and expounded. And in that moment, we are sharing a mutual love for God, a mutual reverence for his word. It's fellowship. It's one of the things that makes Christianity sweet. Everyone here, I'm sure you can relate. There are things that on your own, it's beautiful. But you know that the times you've done it with people, there's just, in the words of um, David, it's, it's like oil from Aaron's beard. Um, that, the oil that poured from his head to his beards or through his clothes. How good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. Oh, a six-hour prayer meeting on your own. God calls you. Tonight, pray six hours. Beautiful. An amazing time of personal intimacy with God. But you also know how a six-hour vigil with your friends. In the words of uh, my Gen Z, he says, it's different. <laughs> it's, it's, there's something beautiful about it that we, we prayed together. We studied together. We went on evangelism together. If need be, we've suffered together. We've had experiences that bind us in our mutual love for God. And so as a believer, if this is not something you have or you've experienced, desire it. God did not create you to, 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 to do life or to live as a Christian on your own. There's such a thing as fellowship. As fellowship. In Acts 2, it says what well, they had all the day. They ate together. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in the breaking of bread, in fellowship, in prayers. That is one of the best things that Christianity gives you, a community that you can share the love of God with. So the same way you can experience fellowship in prayer, in Bible study, in evangelism, in suffering, in, in just even doing life, in food, <laughs> right? You can also experience Christian fellowship in generosity. So that two or three Christian friends, you hear that one of your brothers or your sisters is struggling and you call yourselves, guys, let's do something. That's the fellowship of ministry. Oh, let's, oh, how much can you, oh, okay, let's, let's pull it together. Let's help our brother. Let's help our sister. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. It's not just, oh, let's pray together. Oh, let's go watch a movie. Let's go eat together. Let's go study together. Let's give together. Let's give together. Begin to make it a point of, of duty. Someone in your community, something happens to them financially. They are in a period where they are looking for a job. Take it upon yourself to think, how are they eating right now? Is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can do? In the in the church I, I currently attend, it was it's actually something I, I saw for the first time. And of course, I'm not saying they're the first to do it, or, but I've never seen it before. Or I probably didn't know enough. Maybe my community of believers were all single. Nobody had babies. But there's something we do in our church where once, if there's any member in the church that has a baby, there's this app or something. I don't know. I can't remember the name. For the next two weeks, 
everyone picks a day and signs up, right? Either you're going to cook for them and take it to their house. Yes, a meal train. Thank you. Um, you can tell Buki has been with them. <laughs> um, you, you take the food to their house or you sign up to send a gift card. So like Chick-fil-A, DoorDash, Uber Eats or something. So that for like the next couple weeks, they don't have to think about food. That's, that is what it means to be a Christian. Yes, we see it in casting out demons. We see it in raising the dead. But we see it in this simple acts of generosity. It's one thing you can say, oh, uh, congratulations, oh, you had a baby, I'm happy for you, and that's good. But think of ways, the same way says they were employing us with urgency, like, don't these people need money? Let's be, be eager to give. Be eager to give. Be eager to give. Be eager to give. Oh, you know your friend doesn't really have it all put together financially yet. And then you hear that, oh my God, they were involved in a car accident. <laughs> Their car is wrecked. They need like $5,000 to fix it. And like, you know, you, you know that if you shake that your friend up and down, you'll see maybe minus $5,000. You won't see $5,000. You can say, oh, let's, because sometimes people might be too embarrassed to ask. They might not want to, no one wants to feel like an inconvenience, right? No one wants to be that person that is asking. But even if they don't ask, bring it up. Oh, is there? <laughs> Mommy answered yes. Are you speaking? <laughs> oh, you are speaking. <laughs> bring it up. That, oh, is there anything we can do? Even if, think about, even if all you have is $20, if five of you bring your $20, it's $100, it at least is something. At least it, you, you've put your money where your mouth is, right? So look for ways to be generous. Plan to be generous. I said that last week when I was answering a question. In my budget every month, I have a budget for friends so that the moment a friend of mine is going, it just straight out, it just comes out of that budget. If you're having a birthday and there's something, it just comes out of that budget. That, oh, <laughs> you're my friend. I can partner with you. I can give if you if there's a sense. <laughs> See, I'm here. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. See, I'm here. See, I'm your friend now. <laughs> so they implored with urgency. <laughs> that we should receive the gift and the not just the monetary gift, but the privilege to partner with other churches on behalf of Jerusalem. If you read other translations, that's what he said. They begged us again and again, this is the NLT, for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. Let's be a part. Others are doing it. I want to, the same way you get others that are praying. I, mean, I want to pray with them. Others are giving. Let me give as well. He says in verse 5, and not only as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Another very important point on generosity is that true generosity comes 
or stems out of consecration to God. True Christian generosity is born out of consecration to God. Before you start to give your money, have you given yourself? So important. Remember I said a big part of what we would learn, if there's nothing else you would learn from this teaching, is not necessarily whether you should keep tithing or not. <laughs> it's not whether you should tithe pre-tax or pro-tax, post-tax. It's not uh, how much should you give on Sunday if you've already given tithe. Before we get into all of that, I want you to learn a heart of generosity. And this is a big part of that. That before you give your money, have you given yourself? Have you given yourself to God? First to the Lord, then to us. Have you given yourself to your church? Giving will never be a replacement for Christian devotion, for discipleship, and for active participation in your local church. It's not a replacement. Like, oh, I work, you know, I have a busy schedule Monday, Friday, even on the weekends I'm working. At least I'm, I'm sending them money. I'm sending them money. <laughs> we would use your money and your money will change lives. And it's good that at least you even have it in yourself so people don't even give anymore. But it's not a replacement. No true pastor of yours is happy receiving your monthly, even if you are the largest donator of the church, unless even them, their values have started to be corrupted by the desire for wealth. No true discipler, no true pastor is happy that, oh, this is the largest contributor. You say, ah, but where is he? Ah, you know, he can't make it to, our, to any of our meetings. No pastor should be happy with that. That, oh, you can give a lot, but you don't have the time to fellowship, to pray, to evangelize. What's the point? What's the point? What's the point? And so we give ourselves first to the Lord, then to the people and the leadership he has placed in our lives. That's a church, a discipleship structure, to the service or the work of the ministry, and then we can give our resources. We can give our resources. It reminds me of, if you read, uh, if you remember or you're familiar with the offerings in Leviticus, before the grain offering, there's such a thing as a burnt offering. What is the burnt offering? It's that, it's a mark of consecration. As you put that beast in the fire, everything is burned. Everything is burned. Everything is burned. And then we can now begin to give grains and fruit and, and all these other things in thanksgiving. But consecration always precedes generosity. Consecration always precedes generosity. Always. 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 Have you given yourself to God? And think about it. I, I, I might not be able to, just so that I don't end up teaching on just this one point till the end. I want you to think about what does it mean to give myself to God? Am I, have I given myself to his will, to his word, to his plans for my life? Literally, that's, it says, 
to give. There's a reason Romans says, present yourselves a living sacrifice. Before you bring your sacrifice, have you given yourself? Have you given yourself? It reminds me of that song by Mali Music, um, All I Have to Give. Beautiful song. I think I might not get the lyrics 100% correct, but it's like, Lord, if I could buy you, uh, is it a, a drink or a thing? To show you my love, tell you how I feel. It wouldn't matter what I have to give. I would find a way to get it for you. But fortunately, that's not the case. And we both know I don't have bank or I don't have money anyway. Um, but I re... Uh, but here's my representation to you. Here is my heart, my love, my mind. It's all I have to give. It's not all you have to give in your case. I'm sure you can give more. But you, you get the point. Before you give to the work, you give to this ministry, give to that. Have you given yourself? Have you given your time? Have you given your efforts? Before your church knows that they have your money, do they know that they have you? That they have you. It reminds me of that, that, that uh, there's a phrase or there's a quote we learned growing up that typically guides, should guide our discernment. That if at any point in time in your life, you find yourself engaged with things that make you too busy for prayer, for devotion, for, for Christian fellowship, you're most likely more busy than God intended you to be. And so you don't know, say, oh, but if I do this, I might not be able to pray, but I'll have money and I can give my money. Mm -mm, mm -mm. God did not call you to sacrifice your relationship with him for the sake of the financial progress of his church. No. No. As we can see from the Macedonian church, it's about the heart. God values the heart of a Macedonian believer that doesn't have any money, but it's still willing to, who knows, if you combine all that Macedonia raised, think about it. If you combine all that there is, maybe in, in dollars, maybe it was one, 1K, and then one member of Corinth can, will drop that same 1K. But yet, Macedonia is the reference point. He's teaching on generosity, and he's not teaching with, he's teaching with Macedonia. We have on record for the rest of eternity that they were the example on giving. They probably raised the smallest amount of every other church, but they were the best giver. Think about that. Think about that. The next time you justify your, your life choices and say, oh, but I can give a lot. I can give a lot to the work. Mm -mm. You've missed the order. You've missed the order. God is not interested in how much you can give him if you've not given him yourself. It's not a thing of commendation that you are the largest donator in your church if you've not given yourself to your church. Amen. Amen. So, I'll say that again. I'll read that verse again. It says, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you 
as well. Now he's talking to the Corinthian church that we sent Titus to you to complete this grace. What grace? The giving grace or the grace for generosity. To complete it to you. To complete it in you, rather. How will he do that? By exhorting them. By teaching them on the love of Christ as we're going to see, on the generosity of Christ as we're going to see here. And then by actually giving them an opportunity to act on that. Oh yeah, bring your money. <laughs> Let's see if you've learned. And so, how is grace, now, bringing it larger again, how is grace completed or brought to maturity in a person? Is in seeing it. Is in the act on it. Is in acting on the grace. Paul says, oh, I was more grace than any of them. How do we see that? Because I worked more than them. So I, I, put, the, I, I put the grace to work. Oh, God, give me the grace uh, to, be, to be kind. How would we see that grace brought to maturity? Is that you are going to be faced with many repeated opportunities. And then we would see you choose kindness over and over and over again. God, give me the grace to be forgiven. How do we see that grace complete in you? We would see you get hurt time and time again and would see you choose forgiveness. God perfected me the grace of joy. <laughs> How are we going to see that? You think it's hard to be joyful when you have a stable job, when uh, you, know, you have more money than you need, your life is calm. No, nothing is happening. I say, oh, I'm so full of joy, the grace of joy. <laughs> it's not really hard. It's really not hard. Why would you, what, if you're angry, there's a problem. <laughs> you have a problem. How would we see the grace of joy? Is that things would happen in your life that the world would respond to with sorrow, depression, and despair. And then we see that joy. Then we say, ah, the grace of God is at work in this person. Is at work in this person. God, give me the grace to put you first. How would we see that grace mature? Is that your life would constantly place demands on you. That if you answer, you will not put God first. And then time and time again, we've seen you make decisions. That you're like, oh, wow, this person puts God first and that's what he's telling them that i'm sending titus to complete this grace how by giving you an opportunity to give let's see it he says in verse 7 but as you are bound in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in all diligence and in all in your love for us see that you are bound in this grace also this is one of my, I, I really, really love this verse. I don't want to say it's one of my favorite because I say that a lot. I really love this verse because it points out a very, very important truth about spiritual growth. Is that spiritual growth is wholesome. Wholesome. What do I mean? I mean, just like in school. Oh, I'm studying computer science. I have a class in algorithms. I have a class in data structures. I have a class in, in what? Uh, 
parallel programming. I have a class in distinct, uh, whatever, mathematics. You, you get my point. They are different subjects such that if you pass five, let's say you have six course, core courses, you pass five and you fail one, you, it's, you can't graduate yet. We need to fix this. And that's how Christianity is. There are different parts of our Christian expression that we all can work on. You may excel in one part, but there are others you need to work on. And that's why we have gifts in men to stir up what is lacking. That's why we have friends. Look at the examples Paul gives. He says you excel in what? In faith. If it's to believe God, ah, your faith is strong. Your salvation, you have confidence in what God has done in you. You are full of faith. Is it in speech? Ah, you guys have some of the best teachers in the Gentile world. Amazing. If we call any of you, oh yeah, now, explain the propitiatory sacrifice of God. Say, where do you want me to start? From Genesis or from, from Matthew? Say, wow, you excel in speech. Is it knowledge? Says, how many times did <laughs> they say, ask me any question in the Bible? Say, what's the name of the woman that said she saw Peter? I say, I know. It's not in the Bible, but I know. What did Jesus write on the sand? I know. <laughs> I know the answer. <laughs> I know the answer. What was the name of Rahab's husband? Me. I know. He said, you excel in knowledge. You know the Bible. He said, I did not teach you any such thing. <laughs> I know the Bible. He says, in diligence, you excel there as well. Come to church 9 a.m. You are there 8.30. We are going out for evangelism Friday. He said, can we do Thursday too, Pastor? <laughs> Oh, wait behind and pack just. We will gladly wait behind. You are diligent. You are hardworking. Is it in love for your leaders? Ah, Corinth. Say, oh, we love our pastors. It says, see that you are bound in generosity. See that you are bound in generosity. And so that means every time we assess our spiritual lives, the same way you have a report card, math, A, English, B, Yoruba, F, <laughs> IT, A, further math, A, social studies, C, I and I, F. <laughs> That's how you should evaluate your life. That, oh, I'm doing well at devotion, ah, but I'm struggling with Christian service. I need to pick it up. Oh, I'm doing well in prayer, but I'm not really growing in my knowledge of the word of God. I need to pick it up. Oh, I'm doing well in loving members of my church. I'm not loving my pastor well enough. I need to pick it up. You understand? Christianity is wholesome. It means that there are areas you can improve on. There are areas you can improve on. Oh, I'm doing well in this. I can do better. And the beautiful thing about Christian communities is that there would always be people that excel in the areas where you need help. 
Oh, I, I have no problem praying and studying every day. But I struggle with evangelism. There will be somebody that can help you. Oh, I don't struggle with evangelism. I don't struggle with ministry at all. But if you check my life, I've not really prayed as I should. I've not really studied that. You can, you can find help. And that is the, that is the job of the, the, the leaders and the people God has placed around you to make sure that you excel in every aspect of Christian expression. And the beautiful thing is the same steps you can take to grow one area. It's pretty much the same thing to grow another. The same way, oh, if you're struggling with devotion, how do you grow? Number one, intentionality. Number two, so you, you, you begin to take intentional, so you set an alarm. You make sure you sleep early. If you want to wake up early, you, make, you, you set structures in place. Another way, accountability. So you start to tell people, oh, I'm struggling with devotion. Can you keep me accountable? Every day by 5 p.m., I want to start praying. I would appreciate it for the next two weeks. Can you just check up on me 5 p.m. and let me pray? If possible, maybe you can pray me for the first 10 minutes and then I can pray on for the rest of my of, of the rest of the time. Accountability. And then distractions. Oh, what are the things that keep me from having a healthy devotional life? What can I cut off? What can I reduce? It's the same thing. I want to grow in generosity. How? Step one, intentionality. Oh, how can I intentionally budget to be more generous? Oh, this is how much I give. All, if you add all my givings of 2023, this is all it was. Okay, let me do better. Maybe I can increase my offering by a few dollars, a few naira. Maybe it's not even my offering I'm going to change. Maybe I'm going to add a separate budget, like I've said, for helping my friends. Maybe I'm going to add a separate budget for my parents, right? You have to give to them. I hope you know it's a good thing. I hope you do know it's a good thing. Oh, this, this, this amount is for my parents every month. This amount is for my friends every month. That's how to be intentional. This amount is for anyone I don't know personally, but like someone on the street or something. This amount is for them. I'm telling you things that if you check my budget, you'll see all of that there. This amount is for my mom. This amount is for my dad. This amount is for my siblings. They don't know this. <laughs> well, my sister says she's just hearing that now. This amount is for her. This amount is for um, people I see begging on the side of the road. This amount is for my friends in case something comes up. So when it happens, I'm not now wrestling with God. Hey, God. The Holy Spirit says, give to them. You're like, ah. <laughs> ah. I had budgeted this one. Next time, budget to give. Budget to give. Intentionality. This amount is for this church. This amount is for that church. This amount is for this pastor. This amount is for, that's how you build a culture of generosity. The next thing is then accountability. You can ask people, oh, keep me accountable. Keep me accountable. Keep me accountable. And then distractions. Oh, I, you say, oh, I, I don't usually have more to give. But you are eating out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You lie. <laughs> say, God, I wish I could give more. But you are ordering, and you are ordering ice cream. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. You lie. <laughs> As in, God, I wish I could give more, but you just changed your wardrobe. Black Friday is coming. You are ready. You are not struggling. You don't say, God, I wish I could buy. You know you are going to buy. <laughs> oh, I just saw this. Let me try it. $20 here. 
Oh, I'll, I'll try this ten dollars here. Oh, let's go do this. another five dollars. But then at the end of the month, someone is asking you for fifty. You say, Ah, I wish I could give you a liar. <laughs> you just need to reevaluate your budget. <laughs> As in. So the same way, if I say, oh, I want to start praying more, I know by implication, it means my social media habits need to change. My movie habits need to change. The time I spend on my phone needs to change so that I have that time to pray. Say, so, oh, I'm so busy. I, 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 I'm so busy. I can't find time to pray. We check your phone for the week, seven hours. Uh-uh. How did you get it? Someone there was, I can't remember who now, he said it that our screen, our, our screen time would be evidence to God that we had time to pray and to study. We did. That 15 minutes of YouTube before you sleep, pack it, pack it, pack it, pack it, pack it. It, it adds up. It adds up. So the same way, if you want to build an intentional devotional culture, you know that you have to cut things out. If you want to build generosity, there might be things you need to cut out. There might be things you need to cut out. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. And so it's beautiful to know that that is, that is, the, ex that is the idea of Christianity. It's, it's multifaceted. You can... You can excel in one, need one, work in another, but don't let any slack. Devotion, ministry, love, knowledge, service, generosity. These are core, these are your core courses. These are your core courses. Every time you 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 are you are having a moment of reflection with this with, with the Lord. Think about that, God, how have I been in devotion? How have I been in ministry? How have I been in love? How have I been in community? Right? It's an area we don't usually account for. How have I been in community? Do I check up on my friends? Do I pray for them? Do I have time? Do I make time for them? Community. Or have I been in generosity? How have I been in appreciating my pastors? Like, these are things you start to ask. You don't say, oh, I've been praying well. I'm fine. I pray, I study every day. I'm fine. Mm -mm, not necessarily. There are areas you can work on. Am I speaking to someone? All right. Let's go on. So he says, see that you are bound in this grace also. And then he goes on into verse 8. He says, I speak by command. No, sorry. <laughs> I speak not by command. You say, ah, he has added or taken out of the word of God. <laughs> I always knew he could not be trusted. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. I like this. <laughs> Paul is saying, I'm not forcing you, but I want to see how sincere you are by comparing it with the sincerity of the Macedonians, right? And so it's beautiful that you would always realize that giving was never forced. It was always encouraged. In fact, sometimes strongly encouraged. But ultimately, 
it was never forced. Paul calls it what? A test of the sincerity of your love. That's what generosity, Christian generosity is. It's a test. It's a demonstration of love. If you love God and you love the church at Jerusalem, you will give. If you love God and you love his work, you give. We can know how much you love by how much you give. So much so that like I've said a couple times before, in the Hebrew, there's literally a word for love. It's the word ahava. It means to give. Like that's the literal translation, to give. For God in this manner loved the world. He gave. He gave. So we have an example to learn from. Anything you love, you would give to. Think about it. If you love movies, well, let me not say you will give to because some people are, you are still, in your Netflix account is your ex in secondary school that you are still using the account. So you didn't give to Netflix. Let me not use that analogy. <laughs> but you get, God bless you. You give your time. You love movies, you would give your time. You love K-drama, you will give your time. You love music, you'll give your time. You love work, you'll give your time. you give your energy. In fact, that's a beautiful example because it even shows that before you give your money, you've even given yourself. You've given yourself. Say, ah, yes, if you love K-drama bookie, you will give your time. I didn't say it's bad. <laughs> you shall give it. And so that's what he's saying. I'm testing the sincerity of your love. If you truly love the poor, you will give to them. There's, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. If you love God's church, you will partner with places you know that God is changing lives. You will. You will. And so... It's, it's very important because Paul is saying this, I can test the sincerity of your love by how you respond to my instructions in this letter. And so it's interesting that this is an area that we usually, especially as spiritual leaders now, you need to be careful. Because you read through the Bible, you read through the epistles, and you see that we can command faith. We can command obedience, right? Like, it, it can, I can give an instruction to church. Forgive. I can give an instruction. Let it go. Love. But whenever money or generosity came into the question, it's a bit less instructive and more an appeal to Christian conscience. We'll talk about that more, why that's the case. It's, it's more because of the reputation of the gospel, but we'll get to that. But make no mistake, generosity is a marker of sincere Christian love. How you spend money says a lot about how you love. Imagine a father say, I love, I love my children. 
I love my children. They have they, they need money for school. I use it to go and bet that Messi will win the World Cup. <laughs> how how do you reconcile? How do you reconcile that? I love my children. I love my children. They don't have food to eat. You say, ah, I love them. You you are spending that money. You are buying new new pairs of clothes every day. You say, I love my children. I love my children. They are stars. How do you say that? Oh, I love my wife. I love my wife. When last did you buy it? You say, oh, you know, well, yeah. <laughs> I love my wife. <laughs> I love God. I love God. When last did you give? Even when you are giving, is it is it an afterthought? It's, like, ah, it's true. I have to give. Do you really love God? Oh, I love his church. I love his church. I love his church. Your church has needs. Say, God will provide. <laughs> how well you give shows how well you love. All right? He goes on into verse 9. And then he says, For you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Four years ago, if I taught this verse, I'll be very angry. But God has God has helped me to communicate better. But I'll still I will still say what needs to be said. Let's let's look at this verse. It's a core verse. Whenever the apostles reference Jesus. As a reason for be as, as a reason for Christian conduct is a big deal. So they'll say, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. It's the reference point. Philippians 2. Though he, he was God, he thought it not robbery to be called God, yet for your sakes, he humbled himself. Let that mind be in you. Forgive just as Christ has forgiven you, Colossians. Jesus becomes the reference point. For Christian conduct, I can love because he first loved me. I can forgive because he forgave me. That's why when Jesus was using the analogy of the, of the wicked servant, it's like you've been forgiven of what? Like $2 million. But you are putting your brother in jail over $20. You don't deserve forgiveness. That's how we are when we're unforgiving. It shows that we've forgotten what God did for us. You've lied. You've hated in your heart. You've lost it. You've not given God the glory due to him. And he forgives you of all. Your friend messed up once and you are, you, you've cut him off or cut her off. You don't deserve forgiveness. Well, you never did. But now you are showing even more. You don't deserve it. You First of all, you don't know the forgiveness you've received and you don't, you don't deserve that forgiveness. God, while you were still hating, he loved you. That's the example you have. And now you 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 you're you're asked to share that same love. I said, eh, eh, but but I I don't like I don't like how we used to behave. <laughs> does God did God like till now? Does God like how you are behaving? <laughs> does God like? Be honest with yourself. <laughs> you, you do you like how you you are behaving? You look at your year. This twenty twenty the year is almost over. The things you said you would do, did you do them? Have you given up on yourself? Are you not still going to set resolutions next year? 
He doesn't keep to his word. Do you keep to your word? <laughs> love. Mm. Hey, I don't like it. Love. <laughs> Forgive. Ah. <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> right? Jesus was joyful on the cross. <laughs> Not like he was smiling or anything. But even in, in bearing suffering, he went, it, went at it head on, trusting God. The writer of Hebrews says, you have not yet given your life in this struggle. Rejoice. Rejoice. Your brothers and sisters in the Middle East, they are full of joy. They can die today. As we're going to gather in church tomorrow and sing, there are people, in fact, there are more Christians in this world than, than not. That they know that as they go to church tomorrow, if they get caught, they are dead. But they are still going to church. And you can, it's too far. <laughs> It's if the seats are uncomfortable, we should flog you. It's a miracle that God considers all of us his children. It's a miracle that I will stand before God <laughs> alongside someone who had to trek, who had to sneak into church. And me, I'm saying, hey, God, you know, you, our, our services are too long, two hours. I had somewhere to be on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> May God have mercy. On us. When we say that prayer, is it's a serious prayer because we need mercy. Thank God for Jesus. <laughs> Thank God for Jesus. And so Paul once again appeals to our best example, Jesus. I'm telling you about generosity. I'm not just speaking out of my own accord. We first see generosity in his son. It says, You know the grace of the Lord. What is something? Every believer knows about Jesus. Salvation. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. When was he rich? <laughs> Question. Because a lot of times we've read this and we're doing the exact opposite of the interpretation of this verse. This verse is a teaching on generosity. Paul is saying you look to Christ and his sacrifice should motivate you to give materially. He gave his life for you. The least you can do is give your resources for his children. Right? That's what he's saying. He's not saying, well, <laughs> let's, before I get there, when was Jesus rich? Because last I checked, he was born to a carpenter. And with God, only God knows what Mary was doing. <laughs> he was born in a manger. I think we've, we've made that word so fancy. Manger sounds nice. It's like, oh, I want your child to be born in a manger. Say, oh, that's so cute. That's where Jesus was born. My child's born in a manger. <laughs> he was born where animals ate. He was born in a feeding trough, surrounded by filth, dirt. That's where he was born. He grew up in Nazareth, an unknown town, such that when they said, oh, he's from, they said, can anything good? That's where he grew up. <laughs> Some of you say, I can relate to just where I'm from. If you know where I'm from, <laughs> in fact, you can't know where I'm from. I don't want to start to call play just in case. I did that before and there was someone from that place and so I felt bad. 
Say, if you know where I'm from, nothing good can come out of it. <laughs> you know, there are some places like, oh, where did you grow up? Um, <laughs> oh, I grew up, uh, I grew up in Lekki. For those that are in Nigeria, you know, I grew up in, in Ikoyi. Like, oh, wow, okay. You are up to great things. Say, where, did, where are you from? Say, ah, do you know that place? Say, after the river. They say, I don't know. Say, and that's where I'm from. That's where Jesus was from. <laughs> says, can anything, say, it's from Nazareth. Say, eh, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Say, hey, please between Lagos and Oku. That's where I'm from. Say, oh, okay. Say, okay. You tried, you tried, you tried. <laughs> you tried. That's Jesus. He, thought, he said, come and follow. He said, the son of man has no place to lay. He said, I don't have, I don't have a house. By technical terms, I'm homeless. I'm homeless. I don't have a place. Oh, how am I able to have because people are people are donating to me? I'm living on GoFundMe. <laughs> that was Jesus' life. That was Jesus' life. He said, as I'm saying, you just take one clothes. That's all. Your clothes and your stick, and just be going. He said, Not my Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's your Jesus. Not only that, if you say, oh, he became poor that they might become rich. Who? The Macedonians, as, is, as Paul is writing that statement, they are still poor. <laughs> the Jerusalem church where Christianity started from, as Paul is saying, writing that verse, they are poor. All the apostles, <laughs> none of them, none of them had money. None of them. And so, whatever Paul is saying in verse 9, cannot be material. Does God bless materially? Of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. Does God bless? Of course he does. Time and time again. That's not what this verse is teaching. This verse is teaching that Jesus in the incarnation emptied himself. Philippians 2. It says he stripped himself of all his privileges. That was him becoming poor, him taking on flesh, him dying and suffering so that we can become sons of God. I can't remember the theologian. He says that the son of God became a man so that men, oh sorry, the son of God became a son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God. The son of God became a son of man so that sons of men could become could become sons of God. That's what this verse is saying. For your sakes, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. And so like I said at the start, everything we do in Christianity is a response to knowledge. He says, the reason I can expect you to be generous is because you know the generosity of God. The reason I can expect you to forgive is because you know the forgiveness of God. You know it. The reason I can expect you to love is because you know the love of God. The reason I can expect you to rejoice is because you know how your Lord rejoiced through suffering. The reason I can expect you to give is because you know how much God has given you. And so there is nothing that God expects of the new creation that we can't find that is not first seen in his son. That's why Hebrews will say, looking up to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The author and finisher, the captain of our salvation, the example 
the firstborn among many brethren. We look to him. So the next time I'm asking you to be generous, that's what Paul is saying. Like, ah, you are standing here because Jesus was generous. Not only that, the church in Jerusalem sent people to bring salvation to you. Is it too much to send money to them? And so that's another thing to bear in mind. Generosity, we can be generous because we know the generosity of God. We can be generous because we know the generosity of God. And then he goes on in verse 10. And in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, which I believe is like 2 Corinthians 16, sorry, 1 Corinthians 16. He says, but now you must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, there must also be a completion out of what you have. And that's what I talked about, right? When I said the analogy of the guy that says, Daddy, I'll do anything. So there was desire, but you have to complete it. Desire is good, <laughs> but desire is not action. Action completes desire. Oh, I want to marry is until you marry that person. It's not, it's beautiful to promise, I will marry you. I will marry. I will marry. Ah. Go and marry. Go and put a ring. And go and put a ring. Dammit, go and put a ring. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, New Year's resolution. I will do this. I will pray. Even ring is not enough. In today's what I've been now. <laughs> oh gosh. I will I will pray, my Lord. I desire you. Beautiful. Please pray more. Some of us are stuck. Say I'm John today. <laughs> Dummy John. Put a ring. <laughs> Some of us are stuck in desire. We like that feeling. Every time you're in a meeting, you say, I was convicted. Beautiful. God, that's good. Where's the action? I was convicted. I said, Lord, I will pray more. Uh -huh. <laughs> I will study more, Lord. Two months later, nothing has changed. He says what? You must complete the doing of it today. <laughs> Although you must complete the doing of it. As there was a readiness to desire, there must be a completion. Let your desires translate to action. Insist on it. Every day, I, I desire more of God. I, go and act on that desire. I desire to pray, Lord. Go and pray. I desire to study. Go and study. Go and study. Don't be comfortable with that crying, weeping feeling. Like Bulu said in God leads sorry with them. Sorry without repentance. Because godly sorrow always leads to repentance. It's, it's sorrow without repentance. Oh, I, you know, I was in that worship and I was just crying. And the Lord broke me. We like that. The Lord broke me. The Lord is always breaking you. When will you, when will you put it all back together? Every time you have been broken. No action. No action. Let desire translate to action. Amen? Amen. Let's start to round up. It says, for a first... There is a willing mind. It is accepted according to what one has and not what, not according to what he does not have. So now Paul is beginning to go into administrative teaching and he's, he's explained the why. Now he's starting to explain the how. 
that let it be according to what you have. Is it less than <laughs> Alas. <laughs> Don't worry. One day, one day, one day, we'll go wild. We'll just be going. I'll say, forget it. Let's just keep going. But for now, let's, let's. <laughs> it says, if there's first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what. So we, we've, we've established the fact that, okay, you are willing to do so. I like how the NLT puts it. It says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So he has already made a case that the Macedonian church, they give even according to what they don't have. But he's saying as a matter of principle, right? We can always accommodate that you can't love God too much. In fact, there might be times where we might say, okay, please, oh, your children need to eat. You can't just give everything you've worked out for in your life. But as a matter of principle, number one, let there first be, it starts with the heart. Let there be that eagerness, that willingness. You've resolved in your heart why it is important to give. I'm going to talk about one, some of the reasons why sometimes people struggle with giving because they think that as they are giving is somehow just giving to the Lord. Jesus said, if you give someone a couple, you've given it to me. It's not, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And second, we're only giving out of an expectation to get back. We'll talk about all of that. Don't worry. We're, we're here for a while. Probably into next year because I don't think we can finish this in three weeks. But he says, let there be eagerness and then give according to what you have. Look at your financial and say, I can give this out of the, the, the abundance of God's generosity in my heart. This is what I want to give to the body. And that can increase over time. And there might be times where you are set up to even give beyond that. Beautiful, all well and good. But as a matter of principle, give according to what you have. And I love the fact that he, con this is beautiful that a pastor is saying this. We have cases now that people would say, oh, I even if it's the last, give this amount. Paul says that what? I don't mean that others should be eased and you be burdened. Look at that, a pastor. saying, please, don't, don't give. It's almost saying don't give too much. Don't give to the point where they are fine and then you start suffering. That's what he's saying. Look at that. In requesting to give, he's showing that he also loves them. He said, I don't want your generosity to lead you to lack. Said, you now start saying, ah, say, I need food to eat. Too. I said, ah, what happened? He said, I gave it all. <laughs> Today, we have people encouraged. He said, give dangerously. Ah, ah, to the point where you start to struggle. If you truly love God's people, it would show in how you ask them to give. You know someone is struggling fine and you say give dangerously unless you are acting out of clear prophetic instruction. I beg you. Ha. Ah. Elijah and the woman with the widow of oil. That's understandable. She was going to die either way. <laughs> this was her last cake. How long will cake last? Two weeks. She's going to die. So even when he asked her to give, it's not because she had, this was all. So he said, give me this and trust God. That's different. That's very different. That was a working of a miracle. That was not just regular generosity. No, this was God wants to work a miracle. Give me this. The same thing with the five loaves. And God wants to work a miracle. Bring it. I will multiply. That's very different. As a matter of principle, Paul says, please, I don't want others to be fine 
and then you start to suffer. Give according, give, cut your coat according to your cloth. Give as you are able. And there is wisdom in this. Because of course, out of love and faith, you can sacrificially choose to inconvenience yourself for the gospel. That's fine. But be careful of your motive. You can't do it to impress God. You shouldn't do it to prove a point. And so a verse like this makes it clear that we should be careful that our conscience does not start to form a false idea of religious piousness. That until I start to live, in quotes, live by faith in my finances, I just give everything and trust God for supply that I haven't given yet. That's not what Paul said. Though. That's not what the Bible says. You know, it's this, remember, if generosity is an aspect of Christian growth, then even the same problems of Christian growth can affect generosity. What do I mean by that? The same way you can get a point where you no longer pray and study because you enjoy spending time with God. You, en- you want to pray and study so that, number one, you don't feel bad if you don't do it. <laughs> or number two, just because of that good feeling, oh, I've prayed my one hour today. I've checked my box. And more and more, the act of devotion becomes more about an activity than a genuine relationship with a person. It's a problem. It's a, it's a classic human problem of, of Christian expression that we can oftentimes fall back into works, fall back into self-commendation. So you, you are doing ministry in your church, not because you love God, you love people, but because you enjoy being seen as a faithful worker. Check it. Check it. The same way it can affect devotion, the same way it's something you can you should watch out for in service. Oh, you just you just like being seen. It's no longer about true service. You just, oh, I, I am, I am, I am the most reliable in this. I like that. Check it. It's the same way, even in generosity. You start to 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 look for ways to make yourself feel good by how much you can give. And so now you're like, oh, I only have $2,000 for the month. My rent alone is one five. See, but nevertheless, <laughs> to show God, I don't know who you're showing, that I am a giver. I will give it all. Check your heart. There are times where out of love, faith, and the prompting of many times, that kind of giving, out of the prompting of the Spirit of God, that's fine. There are people that... God has told them, or they felt it in their heart. God, they were in a meeting, and God let them sell your car and give it to this pastor. Who knows? Maybe he needed the money to start a work somewhere. And God gave that instruction because at the end of the the salvation of a hundred more people through that new work is way worth more than your car. There are times where God has said that. You're acting on divine instruction. And many times, the reward always comes. But as a matter of principle, you give according to what you have. You don't give to a point where you now lack. It's, it's literally right there. I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened. In fact, if you read the NLT, it's even clearer. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. I only mean that there should be some equality. So I have excess. I can give. I can give. Does that make sense? That is, that is, that is a pastor that is communicating 
love for his members, even while asking them to be generous. I'll read verse 14, verse 15. I would explain it more next week. He says, but by an equality that now at this time, your abundance. So the Corinthian church, they were rich. They had more money than they needed, more food than they needed. Your abundance may supply their lack and that their abundance also may supply your lack that there be equality. And I explained that last week, that God's idea of Christian generosity is, oh, right now, I have more than I need. I can give to help them. Because there's probably a time when I need something and they would also be able to give. That's God's idea of Christian generosity. In the NLT, it says, right now, you have plenty and you can help those in need. Later, they will have plenty and they can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. Common sense principles of giving. I'm going to talk a bit more about this next week. The whole idea of equality. And I love the verses using in verse 15 where he says, he who gathered much had nothing left. He who gathered little had to lack. It's a beautiful teaching on that. And I'll talk about privilege, how to handle privilege in your life. Oh, you have a good job. We'll talk about all of that next next week. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to pause here for the sake of time. Um, but uh, I hope you've been blessed. I hope you've learned one or two things today. I've been reminded of one or two things today. I hope it's clear that everything I'm reading is from the Bible, not uh, my own. I didn't just fabricate it out of the air. Any questions before we round up? Dami, go ahead. Yeah, um, thank you, Sadi. I think I um, read a tweet where someone was teaching about um, generosity in the early church, how that they... Um, so that they had their properties and all of that and saying that that is not doctrine for all of us to pay attention to like knowing how later down um paul had this idea or not an idea like doctrine of cut this doctrine of like welfare how that if you are a young even maybe a young widow yeah probably like was were remarrying um and then also if you are like an old widow, you must have had service or something like that. Yeah. And then person that is person that is um not working should work so you can eat. Yeah. So does does that like totally cancel the idea of selling mm. property or is just like yeah. time and then that was like what was fit for it? Or they were oh, just they did not have teaching yet, something like that. I don't know. All right. Uh my answer to you would be listen to last week's teaching. For those that were here last week, um, I want I want uh, I want support. Have I tried to at least answer this based on last week's teaching? <laughs> those that were here. Yes. Okay, good. Thank you for that. So Dami, I would highly recommend that was actually a big part of last week's teaching. But the short answer is number one, what we see in the early church was a presentation of an ideal that as soon as we start to see human human influence, the ideal becomes hard to actualize. Number two, the people that were being helped, it's not a contradiction. There was The church did not accommodate lazy 
um, I do people. It wasn't a thing of, oh, as long as there's anybody in our church that has need, it doesn't matter. Nah. This was a case of genuine lack, genuine, um, um, genuine need, right? Because nothing in Christianity goes against hard work, working hard to try and, but then there are times where hard work is not enough. Those were the people that ought to have been helped. And so that's why it was widows and all of that. Not only that, even when people sold things, it wasn't as though, oh, I have a house I'm living in. I'm going to sell it <laughs> so that I become homeless. The, 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 the way the text even gives the example of Ananias and Sephora and the guy in Acts 4, I can't remember his name. It was more that they were the ones that had more. And so it's like, I have two houses. I can sell one to give the money so that people that can't even eat. Why, can, why should I have two houses when there are people that can't even eat? That was the idea. The, it wasn't a thing of all of a sudden. So I myself, I don't have I don't have a house. I don't have food. So everybody's now falling under the income of the church. Not necessarily. I think that's a stretch in interpretation, especially when you start to read how it played out in practice. Um, but like I said, so those are just the two things I'll say right now. Number one, it was a presentation of an ideal. But for instance, in Acts 6, the moment you see things like jealousy coming, things started to play out differently. Um, number two, it's not in contrast to what we start to read eventually. The people that the church helped weren't lazy, idle people. They were people that genuinely needed. And what was given was not that they gave all they had. It was more a thing of generosity that everything I have is yours. But it doesn't mean that, oh, all of a sudden you're homeless, I'm homeless. Sorry, you're, you're homeless, I have a house. Let's both become homeless. That's not really what it looked like. Um, because people still had it. Where did they break bread? It was still in people's houses. If everybody sold all their houses, then they would not, they would just be common hostels. <laughs> it would not have been houses of belonging to people. So no, the, the interpretation seems to suggest that people who had more than they needed gave to those who didn't have. When you when you compare that with Deuteronomy 15, which we did last week, it makes even more sense. So what I would say is, listen to last week's teaching. If it doesn't answer your question, Ask me again, either during the course of the week or by next week's teaching. All right? And for anyone who wants to know the answer, listen to last week's teaching also. All right? Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, Bolu's question, as you said, uh, you said generosity is addressed in the church as more of an appeal rather than an instruction to preserve the integrity of the gospel. But if it is not properly taught and emphasized, won't believers do it frivolously? So instructing people to give is not the same thing as teaching and emphasizing it. What Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians 8 is teaching generosity. What we've done for the past three weeks is teaching generosity. And it's been emphasized because there are two whole chapters, right? It's, it's the law of emphatic mention. Two whole chapters gen dedicated to just giving. So it was taught and it was emphasized. In fact, Paul says the reason Titus is coming is for this reason. What I mean by it's not instructed is that Paul wouldn't say, oh yeah, all of you, as you are coming to church next week, bring your money for Jerusalem. It's not forced. Does that make sense? N nowhere did the apostles, and that's why Peter was like, no one forced you to give. Why did you lie? Like, no one forced you. So that's what I mean. It's, 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 um, it's not forced. The command to give is not forced. No church should 
say if you are a member of the church, you must give at least a thousand um, naira a month. Do you get my point? But we would teach it, we would emphasize it. And if you are truly Christian, we should expect it. And we can we can hold you accountable that ah, you've not been as generous. As you. So yeah, that's what I mean. It's not forced. Um, yeah. Whereas in, in other cases, for instance, if you choose not to forgive, we can kick you out of the church. <laughs> right? That's what I mean. So yeah, there's there's a distinction there. Um and you say at what another question, at what point was Jesus rich? Was him taking on flesh being spiritually poor? Or at the point he took our sin. So, like I said, Philippians 2 answers that question beautifully. Jesus was rich pre-incarnation. In John, he says, the glory I had before, with the Father before. Right? That's what I'm going back to. He says, though he was God and taught it not robbery to be equal with God, yet he emptied himself. And so, Jesus became poor first in the incarnation. I, I think it's important that we realize that in the minds of the authors of the Bible, there's not really a distinction between the incarnation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. All of them had to happen. For him to die, he had to become a man. For him to become a man, he had to submit and empty himself. And so he became poor in the incarnation, in his death, because Philippians 2 goes on to talk about that. He suffered, he died, and then God exalted him in the resurrection. So, in taking on flesh, in taking on sin, he became poor, right? And so, now we are free from sin and we have been exalted. So, we're not just, because if him taking on sin was the only aspect of him becoming poor, then the only aspect we're rich is in forgiveness. But we've read Ephesians well enough to know that forgiveness is not where God stopped in God's redemptive work. There's still the exaltation. We're made to sit with him far above. So that's the that's the reverse of the incarnation. He came low in incarnation. We've come to sit with him in the heavenly places. So it's not just the death and the transference of sin, but the whole process. I hope that makes more sense. All right, it does. Okay, so um, if you... Hmm, someone asked, am I going to talk about black tax? I think Pastor Aaron has done a great job on that. But what, what, I, like what I said last week is that as we start to go through chapter 8, chapter 9, we're going to get a bit more, like we're going to see more and more prince, biblical principles on giving such that the last session we're going to have, I want it to be any questions you have and we would see how we can answer it from the word of God. So in a sense, we'll talk about giving to a point, but if we don't specifically talk about it, feel free to ask it as a question at the last teaching. All right. Um, yeah. All right. If there's any other questions, please feel free to reach out to me. I always love taking questions all through my week and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. If someone can put up my number on the chat, that would be very helpful. So just feel free to say, oh, hi, I was at Journey Through the Epistles and I had this question. I didn't ask it for whatever reason. That's fine. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Also, if you want to be a part of the broadcast list that I almost misplaced yesterday, 
um, where I send out the posters and just announcements on when we're meeting and stuff like that during the week. Also send me a message and I'll add you to the broadcast list as well. Um, on that note, let's pray and then we can call it a day. All right. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word corrects us, instructs us, teaches us, challenges us. I pray that we are able to take all we've learned today and apply it to our hearts. I pray that we are more generous by understanding what you have done for us, that this is an aspect of our Christian experience that grows as a result of this teaching. We are more generous to our friends, to our family, to people we don't know, and to the church of God. I pray that you bless the works of our hands so that we are able to give even more. Bless us, Lord, that we, we can partner with the gospel, partner with, with those that may not have enough. And in all of this, I pray that you give us a heart that is first sur surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. At this point, I'll share our benediction so graciously prepared to us by Buki and I, and then we'll take first times. All right. So I believe we can see my screen now. Um, feel free to unmute yourself. Let's read together. One, two, go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word the word is profitable for my growth by the word i am corrected by the word i am trained in righteousness and in the word my glory to god hallelujah amen and amen thank you all um for your time it's always a pleasure doing this on a saturday morning with you all I'll see you next week, same time. But before then, is there anyone joining for the first time? Anyone? Emmanuel, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Anyone joining for the first time? Whoosh. While he's joining for the first time, for those who don't know, we're roommates in school. So he's a very good friend of mine. <laughs> it's good to have you here. Wally, I'm glad you could join. David, is good. <laughs> It's good to have you here as well. How did you hear of this? Yeah, please show love to them in the chat. <laughs> uh, David, if you don't mind, text, you could put it in the chat or you could unmute yourself as well. Um, how you heard about this. And I hope it was worth your time. Um, I hope to see you. Oh, Jacqueline as well. All right. That's awesome. Uh, or is it David heard it from Jacqueline or Jacqueline's your first time as well? Okay, I think probably is the first time. I'm horrible with names. Yes. Awesome, 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 awesome. Okay, Precious invited you. That's awesome. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you joined. Jacqueline, welcome as well. I hope you had a good time. I hope it was worth your time. I said you want to ask him for how it was in school? Go and ask him. <laughs> From a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> I hope it was worth your time. I hope to see you 
more. And again, like I said, if you have any, okay, go ahead, Jacqueline. I think you unmuted yourself. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I actually joined through Anne. She's been sending me the link for a while, but I've been ignoring. But today we had a conversation, so she actually like, you know, really encouraged me to join in. So that was why I came. That's amazing. You're you're welcome. You're welcome. I hope you were blessed. I hope you learned. Yes, I was. Things. I was. I'm glad to hear that. And your reward is in heaven. Don't ask me for ice cream. <laughs> All right. It's so good to have you guys here. And I hope to see you more often. Um, I'm always ready to answer any questions about the Bible. If you ask me um, how you can get married in five years, I might not be able to answer that. But if you ask me, what does Jesus say about getting married in five years? All of a sudden, an answer would appear. <laughs> All right, guys. Have an amazing, amazing week for those in the U.S. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, IBK, happy birthday in advance. Um, enjoy yourself during Thanksgiving. Rest if you haven't rested for a while. Um, I'm glad you were blessed, David. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, and I will see you all next week saturday bye share with a friend if it blessed you be like Anna and invite someone as well or share the podcast people need to hear these things <laughs> that's the truth all right guys bye all right now we've come to the end of today's episode and i hoped that it blessed you in many more ways than one and if it did i want you to do a couple things for me the first thing is i want you to take out some time to pray and to meditate over the things you've learned in today's teaching and to see how you can begin to apply it to your life starting from this week because it's important we remember we're not just to be hearers but doers of the word as well the second thing i would appreciate is to think about someone you can send this to if this teaching has blessed you then pass it on to a friend to a co-worker, to someone you know who needs to hear this. And finally, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, leave a comment if you're feeling up to it. And I'll catch you in the next episode. God bless you. Bye.